So today we begin a new class series on the Sermon on the Mount. I am so excited. Jesus' ministry is growing leaps and bounds. People people are following him everywhere, just like in this slide. And he's got lots of disciples and things are probably starting to get a little chaotic. So Jesus gathers 12 of his disciples on a mountainside and appoints them to be with him, to go out and preach, and to have the authority to banish demons. Now, banishing demons is a phrase that means healing in this ancient culture. Whenever you see that phrase, you need to code switch it in your head. It means to heal people. It's also interesting to me that the first thing on Jesus' list of needs is to have people to support him. He doesn't just need people to help with the preaching and the healing, but according to Mark 3.13, he needs friends, people to simply be with him. The 12 include the disciples Jesus called way back at the very beginning. Simon, whom he nicknamed Peter the Rock, his brother Andrew, Their business partners, James and John, whom Jesus nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, probably because they were troublemakers, as we'll see in the stories coming up. He also calls their neighbor, Philip, and Matthew, the tax collector. The only one of Jesus' really early disciples who does not get called into the Twelve is Nathaniel. Nathaniel's still around. He comes into the story again later, but he's not appointed as one of the 12, and there's no explanation as to why. Jesus also taps newer disciples that we haven't met yet. Bartholomew, Thomas, another James, another Simon. This one is called Simon the Zealot. Uh, A zealot is basically a militant Jewish nationalist. Judas Iscariot, who will eventually betray him, and another man named Judas. So we've got two Simons, two Jameses, and two Judases. And so with the help of this group of friends, Jesus begins his ministry. This is a picture of Palestine showing the areas ruled by the various descendants of Herod the Great. Jesus begins his ministry up in Galilee, where he was raised. But the temple is in Jerusalem and Judea. There are several important religious festivals that require Jesus to travel to worship in the actual temple. So he's frequently walking through Samaria and Judea. And he teaches and heals people everywhere he goes. He's also remarkable because of the way he stands up to the religious elite, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the people are astounded. The words Jesus speaks are words of life and wisdom and make so much more sense than what the people have always been taught by the religious lawyers, those scribes. It's not that he says things that are outside of the law. It's just that he puts it all together in a way that shows God in a completely new light. So the whole next part of the Gospels are collections of the wonderful things Jesus says and does. We only have a smattering of them. John actually ends his gospel by saying that if all the things Jesus did were written in books, he didn't think there'd be enough room in the world to hold all the books. 
So Jesus tends to teach in three ways. He preaches sermons primarily directed at his disciples. And he often uses hyperbole and and exaggeration, very extreme, even shocking examples to illustrate his underlying point. And that's for a reason. He doesn't have PowerPoint or keynote or video clips. For one, he's got to teach in a way that they don't fall asleep. (laughs) But he's also got to paint vivid word pictures so his disciples can easily remember what he says. That's how he trains his disciples. But when he teaches the people in general, he tends to use parables, stories that are memorable little vignettes set in scenes that are familiar to the people. He paints word pictures drawn from their daily lives, and he helps them understand how different God's kingdom is from the Roman Empire. He teaches the people about their own God-given power and agency. And above all, he teaches them how much God loves them and is offering to them. And he backs it all up with proof that what he is saying about God and God's kingdom is true. The miracles of Jesus, those miracles of healing are proof, the billboard from God, that God is here to heal and to bless and to restore everyone. And this is key to understanding Jesus' teachings. All these miracles are wonderful. But for us Christians who already believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the miracles are not where we need to focus. We need to focus on Jesus' teachings, beginning with the ones directed to his disciples. Now, in the scripture, you'll see that um, the crowds are still there. It's not like Jesus typically, he does sometimes take his disciples off privately. But generally, he's teaching his disciples and everybody else is listening. But there's, but when he's doing the parables and things, he's, he's actually speaking to the crowd. He's not doing discipleship 101 with his, with his disciples. So what we're about to do is hone in on the teaching, the sermons he teaches to his disciples. And we can find these teachings in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. And in each of these Gospels, Jesus' sermons are like gathered all together and arranged as if they are a single sermon. The biggest grouping is what we we have come to call the Sermon on the Mount. And it spans three whole chapters in Matthew. Now, it's unlikely that Jesus taught all this material all at once. These chapters are probably a composite, a collection of the high points of the material Jesus conveys to his disciples over a period of time. Jesus probably teaches each topic separately and expands on it and explains it further. Unfortunately, we don't have the expanded version. Nevertheless, it's helpful that Matthew has gathered the high points together and organized them. Luke's amalgamation of Jesus' sermons is not as extensive as Matthew's, but it it, uh, has a lot of the same material in it. Luke omits more material than Matthew does, but he adds some pretty harsh words that we call the woes that Jesus directs to the rich and well-fed. We call Luke's version the Sermon on the Plain. In both cases, the name of the sermons are just derived from the settings Matthew and Luke choose for their material. In class, we're going to focus on Matthew's version, 
the Sermon on the Mount. Trying to understand this big block of material, though, can be utterly confusing. I think it will help to do an overview of the material first and maybe try to sort it out by topic to see if we can discern a pattern in Jesus' teachings. An overview will help us understand how the topics fit together, and that, in turn, will help us as we interpret the more confusing bits. The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 begins with the Beatitudes. But folks tend to get all bogged down trying to explain the Beatitudes first, and they end up not seeming to have any connection at all to the sermon, if you go about it like that. So why don't we leave the Beatitudes until last? Maybe their purpose and their connection to the sermon will become clear as we work our way through the rest of the teachings. Let's start at Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, and go through the sermon section by section. Each slide up here has the scripture references, so you can follow along in your Bibles. I take basically take each scripture in, in order and sort them out. This, is, um, this one is Jesus' first point, so I assume it's his main point. He says, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Now, I want to color code each of Jesus's main themes. So let's give this teaching a yellow to represent light of the world. Jesus then says his mission is to fulfill the law and the prophets, and that if we want to be part of his kingdom, we have to do this too. So this seems to be a statement that's big enough to be a theme. Let's color it green for go, as in go into all the world. Put feet on your faith. Do what Jesus does. Next, Jesus starts talking about anger and lust and how they lead to murder and adultery and how we need to get rid of them. So clearly, the first thing we need to do to follow Jesus is deal with our junk. This is the first step in following Jesus on his mission. This is how we begin to do what Jesus does. And that makes this a green. Notice that we are not digging into each passage individually yet. We're just taking a bird's eye view of all of the teachings so we can build a framework for understanding them. And that will help us a ton when we dig into the individual passages in the next three classes. The next passage is about not swearing. Now, the point of this is not so much that we need to clean up our language, but that we need to understand that all the power belongs to God alone, not to us. Jesus is saying, God's got this. You can't make anything happen by swearing. And this sounds like a new theme entirely. Let's color it pink for blushing at our own weakness and the need for humility. Next, Jesus says, do not resist evil, but turn the other cheek instead. He says, love your enemies so you may be children of God, because he gives sunshine and rain to the good and the evil alike. 
That last part about God giving sunshine and rain to the good and the evil alike is really important. We tend to just skip right over that part, don't we? This sounds like a new theme of do unto others as God does to us all. On some screens and printers, this color looks blue and on others it looks purple. So we're going to call this color blue-purple for the wine of friendship. But I'm starting to get worried that my approach won't work. I've already got a main theme about us being salt of the earth and three major bullet points about doing what Jesus does, knowing that God's got this, and loving each other. Every preacher knows a sermon can only have three bullet points. So if I hit another major theme, I'm going to call my approach a bust. Even if this is an amalgamation of a bunch of different sermons, Jesus' main message needs to be tight and concise, something anyone can understand, something very practical and actionable. It cannot get much more complex than this. So let's see what's next. Okay, the next passage says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The word perfect here, as you may know, means whole, be whole, be filled up, be complete. This verse is usually lumped with the do unto others verses, but thematically, it's entirely different. This is something we need to do for ourselves to prepare us to go fulfill our mission to do what Jesus does. So it must be green for go. Now Jesus is hitting his stride. He's into the middle of his sermon. He makes a run through all sorts of things you need to do as a disciple. Give alms, pray, but he adds a new little bit. Don't look for reward from humans, but look to God for your reward. That's interesting. That almost sounds pink, pink like the God's got this theme, but It's different in that it's not about God providing resources for the mission. It's more about whether we are doing all this for attention or whether we're doing it with our face to God, looking to God for approval. When we fulfill our mission, when we go to follow Jesus, our face, if we're following Jesus, our face better be pointed to Jesus. And we need to be looking to God. And as as the boss, you know? So this is part, this is a how to fulfill our mission passage. So we're going to call this green. And there's the Lord's Prayer. It's stuck right in the middle. We don't know what to do with that yet. Doesn't seem to fit any particular theme. So let's skip it for now and come back to it at the end. So now we've got two things on our to-do pile, the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer. The first thing after the Lord's Prayer is this bit about forgiving others their trespasses so God will forgive yours. It's in the Lord's Prayer, but Jesus repeats it again separately. It's a big deal. Forgiving others is definitely a do unto others theme. So this is a blue-purple for the wine of friendship. Next, Jesus says to be joyful when you fast. He's talking about the regular fast required by Jewish law. Most of the religious elite make a big deal to be sure everyone knows they're fasting and fulfilling the law. But the real purpose of a fast 
is for the hunger pangs to bring us into awareness of the moment. The hunger pangs are little alarm clocks to remind us to turn towards God and be aware of God's presence, to be attentive to God. Therefore, there is absolutely no reason, Jesus says, for publicizing your fast, except for your desire to be seen and approved of by others. Don't be like that, Jesus says. When you fast, have a joyful countenance. God sees your heart and God will reward you. So this is clearly something we need to do as disciples. It's part of our training and preparation. It's how we go about being disciples and doing what Jesus does. Definitely agreeing. But notice once again the reward bit that's embedded. Somehow our walk as disciples is closely bound with God seeing us and being pleased with us. It it reminds me of when Jesus was baptized as, you know, something he needed to do in his own discipleship and how as he came up out of the water, God exclaimed, this is my beloved son. I am so pleased with him. That, (laughs) that is our reward, the same reward Jesus had. And Jesus hits that reward point again for emphasis. He says, don't store up treasure on earth, store it up in heaven. This is really, really important to Jesus. Trust God for your reward. Trust that whatever God will give you will be far more wonderful than what you could ever imagine. I think that's agreeing, don't you? It's integral to how we function as disciples, how we actually do what we do. There's a way to do it for looks, and there's a way to do it that's real from the heart for God's glory. And our reward is God's great delight in us. Then Jesus returns to his main overarching point. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, how great will that darkness be? He's saying that we are the ones bringing light to the world. And if we go dark, think of the ripple effect on the world. He's reminding us how important. Important our mission is. Our mission is to be the light of the world. This is the main point. It's why Jesus has come in the first place. So this is definitely yellow. We're into the second half of the sermon now. We would expect Jesus to begin crystallizing his points and running through each theme again, just like any good preacher. He says, you cannot serve two gods. You have to pick who will reward you. Choose God, not money. This is part of the green theme around how we walk as disciples. It's not a pink one because it's what we do, not what God does. Our part is to be fully committed to God, not money, as the source of our well-being and as the source of our reward. Jesus knows this is so scary. So the very next thing he says is do not be anxious. God's got this. And Jesus proceeds to spend a lot of time on this. It must be important. It must be true. 
This is a pink. This is what God will do. God will take care of us. Next is the teaching about taking the log out of your own eye rather than worrying about the speck in someone else's eye. That's such a famous passage, right? This is also where Jesus reminds us not to cast pearls before swine, which in this context says to me that if the other person doesn't want your help, don't insist on helping them, no matter how much they need it. This is a definitely a do unto others theme, so it's blue-purple. Then Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. That's got to be a pink theme. God's role is to provide whatever you need in your mission of being light in the world. Pink reminds us that God is in charge of all the resources and all the successes and even all the failures. We blush and remember our humility before God. And finally, the big summation, the golden rule, the most famous do unto others passage, the most famous of the blue-purple passages, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. And Jesus ties it directly back to his first point in the green. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, and we are invited to join in this mission. And here, come to find out, Loving our neighbor as ourselves is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. That is the fulfillment of our mission, is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So from a bird's eye view, the yellow is what we are, our being as salt and light of the world. The green is how we prepare ourselves as disciples. It's the call to do what Jesus does. The pink is how God is there all the time supporting us. And the blue-purple do unto others section ties it all together. Our mission will have the same result as Jesus' mission does. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets, and so will we. That's pretty cool. So now that Jesus has taught us how to prepare for our mission, how do we get started? Jesus says we must look for God's path. He says to enter through the narrow gate. We need to explore that a little more, but for now, it's clearly part of becoming disciples. It's a green. Then Jesus warns them, not everyone will make the same choice you do. Beware of pretend disciples. You'll know them by their fruit. You see, Jesus says you'll see the consequences and results of their choices, and you'll be able to tell whether they are heading themselves and everybody else towards life or towards death. That's a green. Right here, it's almost as if someone stops Jesus and asks, well, what about the people who say all the right words? What if what if they're preachers? What if they're, you know, saying and doing all all the good, quote, good things? And Jesus clarifies that it doesn't matter what people say as much as what is in their hearts. There may, in fact, be people who prophesy in Jesus' name and even do miracles. But Jesus will be able to see their hearts. God may work through them, but Jesus 
sees their choices. And that may be a little tough for us to discern. It's something we'll talk about more when we look more closely at this passage. But for now, this is just a tip from Jesus on how to be disciples. It's a green. We're at the end. So Jesus does a final wrap up and summary of his main point. It's the story of a wise man and a foolish man building houses. The wise man builds his house on a foundation of rock, while the foolish man builds his house on a foundation of sand. And of course, when the storms come, it's the house built on the rock that remains standing. The foundation is the most important part. It is vital that we choose God as our resource and protector and source of power, not money, not human power or status. Unless we choose our foundation wisely, any works we do will be worthless, no matter how good they look on the outside. And this recalls Jesus' very first point about the uselessness of salt that has no taste or light placed under a bushel. This is a reprise of the other example Jesus gave of his main point, that if the eye is healthy, there is light. And if the eye is diseased, there is a terrible darkness. This is Jesus saying the same thing another way. If the house is built on God, it will stand. If it is not, the whole house will fall. That's a pretty good summary of the main point. So let's color that yellow. So this is pretty exciting. Things are falling into place. Furthermore, we can read across the themes to see that they flow smoothly. Each one could stand alone as a sermon. Look at the greens. Jesus calls us to his mission of fulfilling the law and the prophets. First, we have to deal with our junk. Once we're empty of all that, we need to be healed and filled. That's typical Jesus, right? Then our cup overflows. We give, we pray, we fast with great joy and look to God for approval and love. We commit to following God. We look for his path. We choose God. The pink parts hammer home God's role in knowing what we need and providing whatever we ask for. We don't need to worry about resources or whether we succeed or fail. How we do what we do is all that matters. Remember that. Write that down somewhere. How we do what we do is all that matters. God's got the rest. And the blue purple is do unto others as God does. Forgive as God does. Don't focus on your neighbor's shortcomings, just like God does not focus on ours. But instead, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This fulfills the law and the prophets. Amazing. So now we're ready to tackle the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Remember that God is your father. God is in heaven and that God's name is holy. Then look 
Each following sentence of the prayer addresses each of our colored themes in order. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is the green set. That's praying for the success of your mission. It's praying that everyone and everything will do and be, do what Jesus does. For um, give us our daily bread is the pink set. It's asking for what you need and relying on God to give it to you. God provides the resources. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's the blue-purple set. It's the treat others as you want to be treated. And lastly, humble yourself before God. Remember that you are human and you need God to draw you close and keep you safe from evil. That's the lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil part. It makes perfect sense that this prayer is the hub of the Sermon on the Mount. It makes sense that Matthew places it right in the center. It begins with God's glory and ends with our other need of him. It links each of the themes together, joining us with God, with Jesus, and with others. Utterly beautiful. And now there's only one more part left. Those Beatitudes. Now, even the Beatitudes should make sense now. Remember all those rewards Jesus keeps talking about in the sermon? The Beatitudes are the rewards. This is the heavenly pay scale. On the left is our situation, what we bring to the table. Poor, mourning, humble, craving righteousness, extending mercy. This is, this, we, we, this is us as disciples. And Jesus says, Here's your reward from God. You will receive the kingdom of heaven. You will be comforted. You will be entrusted with the whole earth and you will be filled to overflowing. Jesus begins his sermon with these beatitudes. I can can just imagine him fondly looking at each disciple as they sit down. Peter, my pure-hearted friend, Blessed are you, for you will see God. And Bartholomew, my beloved peacemaker, blessed are you, for your reward will be peace. And James and John, sons of thunder, you two who stumble around offending folks right and left, you're my disciples. And even though you will be persecuted by people who hate you, your reward is the kingdom of heaven. And seeing the utter confusion on their faces, Jesus launches into his sermon to explain what the rewards are for and how you store them up. So amazing, so beautiful. Take a breath, that was a lot to cover. Let's go into our breakout groups to talk about all of this. You did a good job with the chart. <laughs> Thank you. I was going to say the same thing. Gail, I, you are prophetic. You are, I am utterly amazed at how you put this together and offer it to us. And the 
captured me. I started out at a macro level and then you brought me down into a micro level of understanding of words that I know very well. That is a, an amazing teacher. Amazing. And I, I don't mean to embarrass you, but I just need to say that. But the opening line, and I shared it in my group, was when you started out and said Jesus didn't just walk and teach the disciples. He was with friends. And I think how critical community is to understanding of God in our life. I, and did you, I, did, did, uh, did you other, you're going to make, you're going to turn me like nine shades of red. So this is not good for my ego. Um, <laughs> you, you know that the balance oh, no. happens and I go right out and do something stupid or say something that offends somebody. And then I feel like a heel for the rest of the day. So you just got to tone it down here. Did the, did the, um, did the chart help anybody else? Was, did this help bring oh. some clarity at all? Or did it make any sense? Absolutely. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, I told my group, I said, you know, I've been in fundamental churches pretty much since I was born. So, you know, for pretty much 63 years, I have heard so many sermons about the Lord's Prayer, about the Beatitudes, about the Sermon on the Mount, and, you know, various from various directions, all of these things that you said today, I have heard but I have never heard them put into the context yes. that they were put in today where it makes sense. It's like, oh my gosh, this does all fit together. And like all the puzzle pieces kind of fell into place. I love, I love it. I love mm -hmm. it. Beautiful. We struggled, my group struggled with the last line, that question about should the last line have a color? The mm -hmm. one about do not lead us into trials, temptation, or testing, but snatch us from evil. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think maybe that we didn't, I don't know, I don't know if we reached a consensus, but the middle line, give us a star daily food, as, as you said, that falls into, you know, the category of God's got this, God will provide. And the last line seemed to us, I think, to indicate um, our our weakness, our um, free will, mm -hmm. but I don't know that that I don't know that we concluded whether that should fall into a color or not. That's it's kind of unique. Yeah, we debated back and forth on if it should be pink or not. Mm -hmm. Right. But um, then we decided it really doesn't matter if it's got a color or not. Um, but Marlene said something um, that kind of brought it into perspective for me. Marlene, can you remember what you said about that line? Um, about the temptation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, about what your church, yeah. that stuff. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, what I was saying is the way that we, that a lot of us learned the Lord's Prayer was lead us not into temptation. That always bothered me. Because it sounds like God would be tempting us to do evil, which is completely inconsistent with our understanding of God. My new church, the United Methodist Church, they, they've, they've played around with the wording of the Lord's Prayer. And that phrase is said, save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. And that makes so much more sense 
that there will be these trying times. There will be these times where we where we need to make a choice or where there are going to be consequences. And we're asking God to be with us and save us from, from taking the wrong step. And, and, you know, not don't lead me down a path and try and make me do something wrong, which is how I have often heard this preached, which just really has always grated on me. It was, it, what it's saying is, I'm going to be in these situations yeah. and I'm asking you to save me from myself and to save me from other situations where I may be feel forced to make a wrong decision. Help me by keeping my focus on you. Yeah. 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 Well, to me, it's like acknowledging we know that we're going to be tempted to make a wrong decision or say the wrong word or do the wrong thing. And to me, it's like asking him, please help me, you know, keep me within your boundaries, the things that you would have me do, not the things that I would have me do. Yeah. And and so then it makes me wonder, where did that lead me not thing come in in the first place? Well, it, it does say do not lead us. I'd have to look at the, you know, ex- actual wording, but, but what I'm um, what it reminds me of is Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, where he mm-hmm. said, Lord, does my path really have to go through the cross? Really? <laughs> Isn't there another way? This is what Jesus is praying here as well. He's saying, you know, Lord, if there's an easier way, be sure to let me take the easier way. <laughs> <laughs> let me know. Remember that I'm frail, you know, um, and 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 don't don't lead me where I will be tested or tempted or tried. I I'm giving my heart to you now. You know my heart, you know. Just consistently snatch me out of the grip of evil, and it's it's a prayer of trust. It's a prayer of God. I am fo- I am following you. It's it's like like my little sister Alala used to follow our mother. We would go to the State Fair of Texas every year, and she would always get lost because she was following the pair of jeans so closely, you know. And it was turned out to be the wrong pair of jeans. <laughs> oh, no. I've done that in time. <laughs> That, that, that last line, it, it is, is it not an acknowledgement that we will be tempted, that we will face trials. And it's just, it seems to me like it's just a plea to be with us during those times. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and an acknowledgement that God is going to be there. You know, this is a dialogue between us and God. And that's, you know, that's how Jesus is presenting this. It's so, something so simple, just like God, God knows, God knows that you're there, that, that you need, that you need him, you know. And I'm, I'm looking up the word and the word just basically means lead, you know, we're following God's leading. What else came up for you? Um, just about Erica that. Erica and Ellen. Erica and Ellen have a question for you. Okay. Yeah. 
in the chat. Oh, sorry. Can someone please remind me what was the phrase at the beginning of the teaching today that we should replace with healing people? It's casting out demons. That the people of this ancient culture saw illness as being caused by evil spirits or demons so in order to heal somebody you cast out the evil spirits or the demons it didn't matter whether it was physical or mental or what that was that that, so we have to code switch that and i'm afraid that we you know there are parts of christianity that don't code switch really well right there um but i was just thinking we don't always make that transition there's some parts of society that still believe that way yeah. And, you know, I'm making no judgment about, you know, the hierarchy of the angelic and demonic beings. You know, I've I've taught you all where that comes in culturally into the vocabulary. That is the culture Jesus is living in. He has to use that vocabulary or nobody's going to know what he's talking about. Um, so uh, it 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 is. Uh, I think that we're trying to not get tangled up in that is wrap those words are wrapping people. The the real the real core is Jesus always healed. That's what forgiveness is about, right? It's about healing. It's about healing relationship. Jesus was about healing relationship, about healing bodies, about healing minds, about healing trauma, about healing being shunned he was always bringing people back into community that's what we're here to do that's what it means to be the light of the world anything else i've always had a question uh whether healing is the same as curing Hmm, Um, that's a good question what do y'all think I think they're different, Woody. I, I I've always thought I've always thought they could be different too. I am very much for me. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember having a conversation. I thought it was in this Bible study. Maybe it was in another group. Um, that we tend to think of healing as curing, but that often the point of the healing was to restore to community. <clears throat> that that the healing was to be restored to community rather than necessarily having a physical ailment or, eliminate or possibly Mind possibly me. also uh restoring to wholeness to, to self i agree yeah yeah that reminds me of when the four friends brought their friend to jesus and lowered him down and all mm-hmm. that and Jesus forgave him of his sins. And everybody was like, oh, my gosh, how do you think you can get away with doing that? You don't have that authority, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, okay, so that you know I have that authority, I'll also cure him. He healed him. Then he cured him. And the curing was a witness of his power. Oh, beautiful. That's great. I would offer one thing, if I may. Um, I've always struggled with the Our Father in my tradition, and some of it is tied to my tradition, which is 
only men are priests and you know I mean all that stuff that surrounds that that I have struggled with all my life even though I love my faith deeply but I took a class a couple of years ago and it was on the Lord's Prayer and it was a weekend um, class and there's a professor Douglas Klotz I don't Neil Douglas and he went back he's a scholar and he went back and translated it from Aramaic which is what right. Jesus would have spoken right so he would have used like the Syriac Bible right mm-hmm. yeah and that was very powerful for me at the time because instead of opening the Our Father and I say this when I am in liturgy or when I'm places where I'm, I'm called to the Lord's Prayer for me as a woman a faith. I need this for my wholeness. And they trans. He translated Aramaic, the first line to be, "O Birther, Mother, Father of the Cosmos, you create all that moves in light." And that falls more easily on my ears as a woman of faith. Um, it's more inclusive for me. And the prayer goes on, and it's it's so beautiful, and it's not what we've been taught mm-hmm. traditionally. And I'm not saying one is good and one is bad. It's how does it fall on your heart? What do you hear? And this one works for me. I, I like the inclusiveness of that. That's a good point you bring up, um, Mary, that the we are into the part of the Bible where where there is scripture in Aramaic uh, available and um, it's typically called the Syriac Bible. And it, but um, this particular, and and it's more used, you know, obviously in the Eastern churches, uh, it's not different or anything. It's, it's similar to what we've been talking about with the um, Septuagint, where it's just, you know, a different translation um, from a different language using different different bases. Uh, but sp- speaking specifically to the Lord's Prayer, there's a little book, a great little book called um, Hallowed Ground, small, thin little book by um, Rick Diamond, Dr. Rick Diamond and Dr. Susan Corbin um, from our, from the little church that I'm in, actually, they had, uh, done it. Rick had done a sermon series years ago, talking specifically about the Lord's prayer from the, in the Syriac version and, um, just going oh. through and interpret and talking about it. So that's available out on Amazon for not much money, I think. Um, so if you're interested Thank in you. seeing an expansion of that, that little, I would recommend that little bit. Thank you. Sure, sure. What was the name of it again? Hallowed Ground. Hallowed Ground, okay. Mm-hmm. We're all going to be on Amazon in about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's quick, quick deal before you. I've been boosted in January. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Any other comments before we wrap it up? What, Julia? Well, I wrote it down, what you said to write down, and I was expecting a pop quiz. (laughs) How we do, what we do is all that matters. God's got 
the rest. I I did my homework there. You did? <laughs> And you, you did. didn't call on me for that one. I didn't. What does that say to you? <laughs> it's not to worry, to just trust and let it be. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, it says the end never justifies the means. The means. That's true. And we go off rails so badly as Christians as a Christian denomination, as a Christian religion, we have been sacrificing the means in order to achieve an end. And that is opposite of what Jesus is teaching. Another thing that really struck me about these readings from today, I mean, I guess I've seen this before, but it was reinforced today, is how crucial uh, the motive is for whatever you do. Yes. Um, of course, we see that all the time. But, you know, seeing it even back uh, in Jesus's words really brought it home to me again that if you do something that looks good, but you do it for the wrong reason, that's no good. Yeah. But it's, but it's, but he's made it when he lays it out like this, he makes it so simple. I mean, none of this is, is hard. The hardest part is the part, that very first step about dealing with your anger and your lust. That's tough, you know, and, and we're going to talk about that um, in, in, a, in probably the next class, I think is where we talk about that. But I, it, sometimes it feels like there's this big burden, you know, that gets laid on us. Oh, well, we have to be perfect every time and all our mo- motives have to be pure. And that's like impossible. You know, I want to make sure that this is lifting a burden, not putting a burden on you. Yeah, it seems like it's saying be with God as often as you can. Yep. Uh, to, to make that, I mean, I, you can you can do that with other things too. Um, can you can learn to have a certain thought process or avoid a, th- a certain thought process, and so I guess you can learn to, uh, in in a time of temptation, you can learn to bring yourself back to God. Exactly, and there is another fabulous classic, another tiny little book that'll knock your socks off, called "The Practice of the Presence of God." And it is by a monk from many, 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 many years ago, um, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But um, that book has changed books? lives. Pardon? Lives. The practice. Would you of, please list these books in the? Um, yeah, let me in our in chat the, group. That yeah. We have. Okay. So the first one, not was here in the chat, hallowed, in, on the Facebook group. Oh, okay. Hallowed ground by Rick Diamond. Hmm. And Susan Corbin. And the second book was The Practice of the Presence of God. And I can't remember the brother's name who wrote it, but it's so old. That is that's a classic. And they're both about, you know, an eighth of an inch thick. They're they're tiny little books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This whole thing kind of put me in mind of something that happened with me recently. 
And you know, I've talked to you about some situations that I was having in my life and you gave me some very good advice, but I didn't let it sink in <clears throat> as much as it should have. And I spoke with um, a gentleman that some of you may have heard of named Stan Mitchell, who has a ministry out there <laughs> of bringing reconciliation to families and, and, and love to the world. <laughs> He's absolutely amazing. And so um, I had texted him. I didn't know that I'd even get a response, but not only did I get a response, but I got a response that said, I have three hours this day. Call me. Here's my number. Wow. And so he sat and spoke with me for, we talked for about two hours and he let me tell my story. And when I got done telling my story, he said, now, Shirley, I know that this is not going to sit well with you when I say this, but I'm hearing you being very defensive. Mm. Now, Pastor Gail had basically told me that same thing, maybe not (laughs) using those exact words. And I allowed it to offend me instead of change me. But when a complete stranger, I know, I know. When a complete stranger said it to me, I went, wow, he's right. Gail was right. I'm going about this all wrong. And I have totally between gleaning what I got from Gail and gleaning what I got from Stan and gleaning what God hit me up alongside the head with, um, been changing my attitude for 2023. And my attitude is the past is the past. There is nothing anybody can do to change the past. But we can focus on the positives and change the future. And that is my motto for 2023, that I'm going to focus on the positive. And I got hit over the head with COVID right the very beginning. We got COVID for Christmas. And, you know, here I had Christmas, New Year's, my birthday and everything surrounded by COVID. And I could have let that make my year start out like I saw a dear friend of mine post recently, which was, well, I thought 2023 might be better, but it hit me up alongside the head just like 2022 did. And my, I could have done that. And I can easily fall into that mindset. I can easily fall into that negativity. So I have to keep my focus where my focus belongs, which is not on me and not on the past and not on my relationships and not on anything else, but God and let God guide me. And um, I wasn't planning on saying anything about that, but everything that we've talked about kind of led to that. It goes so well with everything we talked about today. Our focus should be on mission, the mission that Jesus told us to fulfill that mission is to have a proper relationship with God and therefore a proper relationship with all other human beings. And so there's going to be some changes for me in 2023. Um, I'm trying to, I'm going to try to keep my Facebook positive. Um, I'm going to try to share with people like right now I've been focusing. I've seen a lot of people focusing on if you're, if you're a certain political disposition, or if you followed a certain human being, or, you know, any of these things, you are a rotten person. And I don't want to have anything to do with you. And I'm like, you know what, 
I have got people that I am friends with on Facebook who come from different political parties, who come from different religious backgrounds, who come from no religious background, who have turned to paganism, who have, you know, have all these different things. And the message I want to give to them throughout 2023 is even though you're different, you don't have to hate. Even though somebody is different than you, you can still embrace them in love. Yes. And that has been hitting me from so many different directions that God is telling me that's where I'm supposed to be. Yes. And that sounds so healthy. And, 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 and the fact that it links directly into this, you know, Sermon on the Mount is a good indication that you're on the right path. There is nothing in here. I did not see not one word about going out and proselytizing or beating people over the head. That's for a reason. The theology is simply God is God and you are not. (laughs) And we're going to do this together. (laughs) And we're going to all love each other. We're going to learn how to love each other. Go forward, move forward together. This is just wonderful news. I love the fact that Shirley, I love the fact that Shirley focused on the future. Yeah. That's, that's so profound. Yeah, absolutely. It's a big thing for me. Trust me, it's a big thing. That's huge. And you get there from the now. Yes. Yes, you do. So we're going to take the next three lessons and we're going to go through each of these. You know, we're going to go through the Sermon on the Mount and we're going to really look at the words that Jesus actually said and talk about. I've given you an overview, but we're going to dive into the images he used and talk about them and think about them. And I'm looking forward to it. It's been wonderful seeing your faces today. I've missed you all so much these weeks and I hope, hope to see you, see you next week.